Welcome back to another episode of the Royals Farm Report podcast. My name is Joel Penfield. As always, I'm joined by Alex Duvall. How are you doing today? Joel, I'm doing well. The Kansas City Royals have now tweeted out videos of uh, Jackson Coar and Brady Singer throwing bullpens in Arizona. Spring training is right around the corner. I am excited. I will be there uh, for opening weekend of spring training this year. So looking forward to getting down there for that. But yeah, doing well otherwise. I'm jealous, man, but I'm, I'm excited to get to go down there. I'm hoping I can get down there at some point. But, you know, baseball is right around the corner, and it's exciting for, for everybody involved in the game. And we are we are joined by the uh, single-A, low-A affiliate uh, for the Kansas City Royals play-by-play broadcaster, Emma Tiedemann, uh, for the Lexington Legends. Uh, she also does work for Moorhead State Basketball, doing play-by-play for them as well. And we're so thankful that she joined us today. Emma, how are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. Good. We're so glad that you could join us tonight. Uh, we've wanted to get some more. We got Corey Nido on a few weeks ago to talk about the Wilmington Blue Rocks, and you know now we have another champ, uh, uh, another champion on here tonight. Uh, when it, with the Legends winning the South Atlantic League last year, uh, it's really exciting. And obviously, twenty twenty, there's a lot of expectation there too. Absolutely. Uh, you know, going into your twenty twenty season, twentieth uh, year uh, for the Lexington Legends, hopefully going for a three peat in championships is pretty exciting. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And you've gotten to call two championships now, correct? Correct. I've had quite the uh, exciting kind of minor league baseball career so far. Okay, so the Lexington Legends win the South Atlantic League last year on a walk off home run. Take us through that call and that moment for not only the team but just for you as a broadcaster. Uh, for me as a broadcaster, that moment was very similar, uh, to 2018. I <laughs> sort of blacked out a little bit, um, calling that, but the 2019, I mean, the buildup of that whole kind of situation of not only extra innings and a decisive game for a championship, but you know, you have this incredible pitching matchup. You have Brandon Markland on the mound who was pitching way more innings um, than he usually does, had to go so deep into the ball game. And then you have the little things like bottom of the 13th inning on Friday, the 13th. And the final score was, you know, three to one, like everything that surrounds it just beyond the baseball field. I mean, that made it one of the most probably special calls I'll ever have in my life. I asked uh, Corey Nido about this when we had him on, and he got to call not only the the Carolina League Championship game, but also the the no hitter with Jonathan Bolin. When you have huge moments like that, you know, as a broadcaster, sometimes they can kind of take over the moment and maybe talk a little too much about what's going on, not let the moment be the moment. So how hard is it to kind of balance something like that, where you want the moment to be incredible but not talk too much about? It? Is that do you kind of get what I'm saying here? Oh, absolutely. I think as a broadcaster, it kind of takes practice and you have to know that there is storytelling in the silence, um, in the silence of the broadcaster. Uh, You know, our fans were incredible and on their feet and making a lot of noise as that game progressed. And as it got, you know, more and more tense in extra innings and a tie ball game with one run apiece. So that in itself, with our fans being so active, is part of the story. And so as a broadcaster, you kind of have to realize that, that that's part of painting the picture and that's part of the, the beauty of being on radio. Um, I've, you know, we're obviously on MILB TV as well, but I mean, I, I think that just adds to the broadcast a lot more than maybe younger broadcasters realize. And it's, uh, you know, I think Vin Scully talked about it is there is beauty in the silence. Um, so I've come to learn that with practice, um, but that was definitely something that when you're, you're in those big moments that you can kind of feel it being on the air that, okay, this is going to be a big call for me. 
but also you want to have it for the franchise as well to have that forever and a beautiful call and give it to the player too. So after that, obviously the calling a walk-off home run to win a league championship is awesome. And no moment's probably going to top that, but did you have another call from that season in 2019 or 2018 that really sticks out to you on that list of the, these are some of the hallmarks of my career to this point? Um, well for 2018, it was, it was again, the championship, uh, call with Tad Ratliff on the mound. Um, and then, you know, just kind of fun ones as well. Uh, last year in 2018, uh, Brewer Hicklin, you know, of course doing what he does and laying out for a catch and, and the outfield and called him, you know, Superman and makes the catch and that kind of stuff. Um, so it's little moments like that, that I think kind of stick out in my mind. And then it all, you know, accumulates into those huge moments, um, and the championships, which I fully expect to never make it to a World Series, never call a championship game again, and I'll have just terrible karma for the rest of my career after these two years. <laughs> Emma, one thing I think is really cool when you when we get to watch big league games is that you know, guys like Whit Merrifield, they stick around a while. Guys like Alex Gordon have been around the team for a while. So the fans kind of develop, not a camaraderie, but they, they develop a uh, something of a relationship between the broadcasters guys like Joel Goldberg uh, and the players because they're there in the minor leagues. You, you transfer through uh, or transition through, I guess, you know, 30 to 40 players a year. And then all of them could be gone the next year and you're getting a whole new crop of 30 to 40 players. So if, when you guys are doing interviews or when you're talking to players or when you're trying to build that relationship between yourself, the players and the fans, how much extra work do you think it takes knowing the fact that these players aren't going to be around. And so it's, it's constantly building new relationships. What's that kind of that, that, that challenge? What is that like? Um, it's, it's a very interesting challenge because you're right. We, we move through a ton of players um, each and every year. And, and for the most part, we don't see them two years in a row. Um, so it's kind of just, you know, from a, from my standpoint, if I have to take, take them to an interview, like say with media, or if I want to sit down and, and talk with them, kind of just level with them and, and make it just a friendly, comfortable conversation. Um, you know, we did have a lot of younger guys last year with, you know, Nick Prado and MJ Melendez and um, kind of just talking with those guys saying, you know, most broadcasters are trying to work up the system just as much as the players are, you know, our goal is major leagues as well. Um, so once you kind of have that camaraderie of we're all kind of working for the same end goal, um, the players kind of seem to respect and kind of admire that. So there's that kind of, uh, even playing field of that's both of our goals. And, uh, you know, you see them around the clubhouses, uh, you see them, you know, every day. So just kind of, you know, normal pleasantries talking about the game, talking about, you know, their last road trip and that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, the Royals have done a great job of instilling instilling a lot of respect in these guys, um, whether it's respect for the broadcasters or the front office staff. So they're honestly just super easy to get to know and, um, and talk to and, and relate to. Yeah, that's really cool. That's that is one thing I think is really neat is when you can tell on broadcasts like the that I I don't know how to describe the relationship between a player and a broadcaster because I've never been on either side of that. But I do think it is really neat to to see that relationship build. And I can imagine for you um that building those relationships is is, is a really fun part of the job and you know this year I think you know fans in Lexington should be really excited that uh, Bobby Witt Jr. should be making his way through Lexington. Number two overall pick, highest paid high school draftee ever. Um, you know, that's going to be something that I think you know, attracts fans to the game. As the broadcaster, you 
don't want to try to pick favorites probably. And it's, it's important to build your, your job around all of the players on the team. But how cool is it to get a guy like Bobby Witt Jr. after, so you're coming off two championships in your first two years broadcasting, then your third year you get a prospect like him. Um, how, how, how excited are you and how excited do you think Legends fans and the Legends themselves, how, how excited is everybody to get that guy in the building and, and to get to watch him play every day? Uh, I think there's a lot of excitement. I think, you know, a lot of people in Lexington and, and uh, in Kentucky were kind of watching the draft, knowing that we were a Royals affiliate and knowing that, you know, we had that number two pick. And so I think that they kind of kept um, tabs on Bobby Witt Jr. a little bit more than they have with other prospects in the past. I think what kind of piqued their attention of kind of focusing more on the prospects and seeing them as players and as people was, you know, the influx of Nick Prado and MJ Melendez and that crew that came through. I think that fans recognize that, oh, when we have top prospects like that and fantastic talent that the Royals are developing, that typically now leads to championships. So when you have a name like Bobby Witt Jr. that might be leading the next pack that are coming through Lexington, I think it piques their interest. And I think they pay attention more to not only Lexington, but then they pay attention to the the system as a whole because then they know that he's coming from Arizona and they know that you know Jonathan Boland pitched fantastic for us so they expect him to go to Wilmington and, and stuff like that I think it's brought a lot more awareness um, to the system as a whole which is really cool to see and and to have our fans come up to us and talk oh well so-and-so's in northwest Arkansas so-and-so's up in Wilmington it's cool that they have that awareness as well and they know um, how players move through the system yeah that's really cool and I don't mean to to push the button too far here, but Legends fans that are listening to this podcast, I hope you guys know the the wave's not done either. You know, Adrian Alcantara, Delvin Capellan, Michael Massey, Vinny Pasquantino, all coming from Burlington next year. Um, Bobby Wood Jr. is going to be coming from Arizona. Who knows how long he'll actually be there, but he'll <laughs> be there. Um, you know, there's a I think there's a real chance that the Legends can three-peat in the Sally this year. And so I know you're you're relatively new to this, um, but seeing over your first two years broadcasting that that the team has won a championship, you've got to see probably a lot of fan engagement in the team, in the community, um, being involved around Lexington, Kentucky, and minor league baseball has, or I'm sorry, major league baseball has put the Lexington Legends on the chopping block uh, for their 42 team hit list. Um, so you've seen the obvious pros, the, the clear benefits that minor league baseball can, can bring to a community. Can you, can you talk about some of those? Like, how do you feel like Lexington legends and two championship teams and possibly a third one coming up? How do you feel like that's impacted the community and, and, you know, talk about the potential, you know, hit that is coming from major league baseball. Um, I, that's a that's a long answer, but um, to kind of keep it short, in my in my two years here in Lexington, um, you know the legends have really stood out not only in single A level, but of the entire level and uh, all 160 teams of minor league baseball with giving back to the community. So it's not just during the season with the players going to the children's hospital for visits and and brightening their days um, but it's also us giving um, money back to the community and developing a program called legendary league so we support uh, 15 and 15 to uh, 16 little league teams across Kentucky 
and donate over $100,000 total to those 15 plus teams. Um, and that goes to jerseys, field improvements, that type of stuff. Um, in total, the legends put about a million dollars back in the community each year. And so that alone, you take the legends away and you take that community aspect away. That's, that's a major hit to this area. Uh, for the baseball side of it, uh, you know, it's what you always hear. This is how we develop players. And this is how we develop fans. Um, like I, I was talking about with, you know, the fans having more awareness of the season or of the uh, system of the Royals, you know, you take Lexington away. Well, you just had all these Royals fans that keep an eye on these prospects that make their way to Kansas City. Well, now they don't have a team or, or players to follow anymore in this area. And they have to go to Cincinnati and spend probably money that they don't have in their budget. They have, uh, you know, a budget for 25 cent hot dogs on Tuesday nights and, you know, thirsty Thursdays and bark in the park and, you know, Saturday night fireworks, that kind of stuff is what I think would be an absolute detriment to the game, not only baseball, but also to this community and the 42 other communities across the country. So I want to transition here. So we talked about the impact of the legends on Lexington and baseball in that community. I want to shift to the impact that you have on the game. Obviously you are for the, and for those that don't know, uh, Ms. Tiedemann here is one of only two women that are the lead broadcasters in minor league baseball. Kristen Carbach of the Clearwater Threshers is the only other one. So how important is it for you to have a, a significant impact on the game and show Obviously, being one of only two, it's a male-dominated profession that you're in. How important is it for you to show young women that this is something that can be strived for and can be done, at, you know, at the highest level? Uh, well, first, I do have to give props. Uh, there's a couple more of us now. We have uh, Jill out in Visalia, uh, Melanie in Salem, and then just recently announced uh, Mora down in Lynchburg. So, so our numbers are growing. Well, that's great. Um, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, it, it is fantastic. So, it is it is great to see that, you know, women are coming behind us and I'm uh, kind of taking the next steps in their careers too. There were only two of us last year. And I mean, so far we're more than doubling our numbers. So, so far so good. But, um, you know, I started this broadcasting thing when I was in high school and I didn't really see the significance of it, um, until a few years ago when I was looking for minor league baseball jobs and I was met with, uh, some kind of unexpected adversity. Maybe I was just naive to think that I could, just jump into any old job and um, there wouldn't be kind of those walls to, to overcome. But um, it's been, you know, something that it's not really in my character. I'm, I'm not that type of person to be in my mind, you know, a, a trailblazer and that kind of stuff. I'm a, generally a pretty quiet person, just kind of keep to myself and do my job. But um, it is cool to see that, you know, to get the instant messages and, um, you know, people sending me emails saying that they're a young girl and they're going to, they've seen what we've done in minor league baseball. And now they're shooting for major league baseball too. So, um, it's a, it's an extreme honor to even have this position in the first place. And then to be able to kind of open the doors for, uh, young girls coming up. It's, it's incredible. So what brought you to Lexington? So I'm, I'm just looking obvious, looking at your career. So you did some stuff for the St. Paul Saints and a few other uh, programs while you were uh, after you graduated from the University of Missouri. Uh, what brought you to Lexington and what? Um, so Lexington, I I uh, in 2017 after I finished my season with the St. Paul Saints, 
Um, I had a, a broadcast job lined up for the next season. Um, I was really excited about it. And uh, I signed up to go to winter meetings, mostly for the networking and, and catching up with some, some friends there, but really excited to not have to go through the job fair experience again. Um, and then about a week before winter meetings, I got a call from the president that they had to take my offer away. Um, they were on a hiring freeze and could no longer hire me. So I scrambled, uh, put my tape together, put my resume together, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> bit my lip and paid for the job fair for winter meetings and uh, was lucky enough on that first day to see the posting by the legends uh, and submitted my my resume, my tape. And within 36 hours, I had three interviews with the legends and had been offered the job uh, on the site of winter meetings, which is down in uh, Disney World that year. So it was a, a whirlwind of 36 hours and I walked away from winter meetings with a job and um, then moved to Lexington that March of 2018. That's really cool. I, one thing I think is 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 kind of neat is that um, Katie Sowers, the, she's the offensive what, – what's her title? The offensive quality control coach for the 49ers. She's a offensive assistant. She's the first female coach in NFL history. Um, has ties to Missouri. She went to the University of Central Missouri – or at least she coached for the University of Central Missouri. I can't remember exactly what her tie to UCM is. Um, and then Emma, you were the you were the very first female broadcaster in minor league baseball, correct? Uh, no, I was the second behind Kirsten. You were the second. Okay. Yep. So, but but still, one of the you know the pioneers in the in the one of the first women to be a broadcaster for minor league baseball um, went to the University of Missouri. A um, couple of not just national headlines, but you know local ties back here to Missouri. Um, you know, I, I don't know that pride is the right word, but I am proud of you guys for, for reaching out and, and going into fields that, like Joel said, have been dominated by males. But it's it's good to become, you know, I and I think it's obvious, but it's good to become more inclusive. Right. But it's also, you know, the more people that are involved in something you love, the more I think it makes it um, worth loving. Right. The more people, the more types of people that are involved in baseball the more proud I am, not of those people, but of baseball and of everybody who's made it possible and for everybody who is involved. Um, I do think that's really cool. It's awesome that it's happening here locally. Um, so, you know, I don't, I don't want to, I don't, th I don't know that pride's right. Well, I am proud of you guys for, for what you've been doing. And um, I think it's really awesome uh, how far you've, how far you guys have come, um, especially now, like you said, you, the, the num numbers have doubled. There's five women now that are going to be, leading a broadcast team in minor league baseball this year. So um, I am really proud of what you guys have done, but keep it up. And hopefully this time next year, we're talking about how now there's 10 and then the next year, how there's 20. Yeah, absolutely. I'd love that. <laughs> All right, Emma, this has been uh, fantastic so far. Uh, what, uh, what excites you the most about the 2020 season coming up for Lexington? Uh, I mean, there's, so many things, but it's our 20th season. So, uh, you know, planning this off season, all the different promotions, uh, celebrating 20 years of baseball in Lexington, uh, everything that we have ready for the schedule is very exciting to see from a stand, a fan standpoint. And then also the baseball, I mean, you all said it, Bobby Wood Jr. Is not the only, you know, extremely talented player that's coming up the pipeline, uh, for Kansas city. So I, I'm, ex I'm, so excited to get in the booth, smell the grass, you know, have that, the heat. Uh, I'm tired of winter now. I'm ready for, you know, 90 degree days at the, uh, at the ballpark, 
uh, surrounded by a few thousand people and just calling baseball. I think that um, the people of Lexington have poured their hearts into this team for the last 20 years. And now we're going to celebrate them and we're going to celebrate the Royals and, and hopefully go for that three-peat. All right. Thank you so much, uh, Emma. This has been really cool. Very awesome. Uh, like I said, we wanted to give uh, you a platform uh, before the season started, obviously, as, you know, one of the pioneer, you know, a pioneer for women in broadcasting. And, you know, you've called two championships in two years. That's that's so cool to begin with anyways. But the last question that we ask anybody that we interview on this podcast, if you could go back in time, watch any moment in baseball history, what would it be? Oh, that's a really good one. Um, ooh. I think it would be one of Nolan Ryan's no hitters. Um, I don't really have a particular one, um, but he was, you know, a fantastic, obviously baseball mind, a fantastic baseball player. And, um, I've met him once now and I would just love to see him pitch in person. Yeah, that's actually, I think you're the first person that's uh, talked about any, I think reference anything with Nolan Ryan on this, on the podcast. So we always love getting <laughs> unique answers because there's so many different ones you could go for. Oh yeah. I mean, yeah, that's, that's a great question. All right. Well, Emma, thank you so much again uh, for anybody that's not following you on social media and wants to follow you and the legends this season, where can they do that? Uh, so the legends is pretty easy. Uh, it's just at Lexington legend. Uh, we had to go singular because of the Twitter uh, rules. And then for me, it's just Emma Teeds, E-M-M-A-T-I-E-D-S. All right, Emma, we look forward to the 2020 season and uh, best of luck this year. Thanks so much.